Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hello and welcome to Gays on Film. This podcast is where we, a pair of gays, talk about what we're watching. I'm Ned. And I'm Declan. And in this episode, we'll be talking about The Mandalorian Season 3. Remember, there will be spoilers once we get to the headline feature, so as always, do proceed with caution. But before we get into that, King, I'm dying to know what you've been watching recently. Right, so... (laughs) I'm going to start negative and get progressively better from my perspective. So, Amazon, so it's bank holiday, first of three bank holiday weekends in May here in the UK. And Amazon released their big new TV show, The Citadel, which is reportedly the most expensive TV show ever made. Who's in it? Richard Madden. Yeah. And Priyanka Chopra. Jonas. Yes. Yeah. And Stanley Tucci. That's why they were on Stanley Tucci's Instagram together. Uh, right, yeah. Uh. And other than Richard Madden looking the henchest I've ever seen him look, mm. there was no more highlights. It was really bad. And unfortunately, it's very unlike me because I was, I was actually really looking forward to it. I had, you know, it's got, it's, Made by the Russo brothers, um, who are having not as good a success post mm. Marvel, and I had to switch off after fifteen minutes, which is bad, I know. Um, but it just wasn't for me, and I could just tell. It, you can, t- I, they've said in interviews that they really like James Bond, and you could kind of tell that they were trying for it, but it just, it really grated on me, um, and that was a, a massive disappointment. Oh. I know. Um, I watched the latest episode of Tad, Tad Lasso, Ted Lasso, um, which I will also bring up in Trailer Trash or Treasure, but I'll save that for then. Why would you bring it up? Because I, I'll explain when we okay. watch it. Oh. Um, but it's not as, quite as good for me, and the episodes have gone to like an hour now, so... Ted Lasso started out as like a half hour comedy, season one. And then season two, it got a bit more drama, drama comedy, about 40 minute, 45 minute episode. Dramedy. Dramedy. As they say. And now it's like, I think one episode is like an hour and five minutes. And it's still got that, it does still have that vibe and themes of like positivity. And some of the lines Ted Lasso says really make, really make me laugh. Mm. And I've said this before, the jokes he cracks reminds me of jokes that you would crack. But, um, yeah, it's not... It's good, but it's not the same as the first two seasons for me right now. Ah. And then a positive for me, when you were sleeping the other night, because we had a bout <laughs> of sleeping sickness in this household the other day, and Ned had had about a two-hour nap and then up for an hour for tea, and he was like... I'm going back to bed, and if I nap for two hours, I'm up half the night, so I decided to watch the Tina Turner biopic starring Angela Bassett, did the thing, and what's love got to do with it, and it was great. For those of you who are unclear on what Declan just did, it was a reference to that song that, uh, what's the name, 
Ariana DeBose did Angela Bassett did the thing. And it took the internet by storm for all of about five minutes. And I think you were saying, for those who don't know, I would like to think that people who listen to podcasts are quite in tune to popular culture. So I think there'll be very few people that know. But it was great. And it was interesting. So I think it came out 93, maybe. So it's like three, 30 years old now. Um, And I can understand why a lot, I think I wrote in my letterbox review, I can understand a lot about why biopics are quite formulaic because if they try to follow this formula mm. then I think it was great um but it's very much like all of these famous people's lives unfortunately they get famous abuse comes their way in a variety of different forms whether it's from a partner or management or yeah drugs or whatever um but exploitation really isn't it yeah um but yeah and Lawrence Fishburne is um her husband, Tina Turner, and uh, why has that totally gone out of my head? Because she wasn't Tina Turner on her own for a long time. They were Tina and Ike for a bit. Ike, that was it. Was it Ike? Yeah. yeah. So Lawrence Fishburne as Ike was, was good as well, even though his character was oh. horrible. Gosh. Um segue into your bit. So we went to see The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry at the cinema today. We did. You liked Aww. it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It was very... Um, it pulled on the heartstrings, I think, from pretty much the word go. Heartwarming British film, and it was lovely for a bank it, holiday yeah, afternoon. Except, I don't, I don't know. It is heartwarming, yeah, but has quite dark themes in there, and content warning for anyone thinking of going to see it. Oh yeah, you do see some suicide. Yeah. In there. So, you know, take care. I wasn't quite expecting it. No, I wasn't. No. Um, But aside from that, it was excellently acted by Jim Broadbent and Penelope Wilton. Is that her name? I never know. I always forget that actor. The one from um, Downton Abbey. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's Penelope Wilton. I do apologise, Penelope, if you're listening. I said that when the credits were rolling. Jim Broadbent's one of those actors... Very facially. A very good face actor. Like, you can tell what, even if the dialogue wasn't much, and to be honest with you, most of this film, he's kind of walking yeah. on his own. You can just tell what he's going through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the premise of the film is, how do I give the premise without giving it away? So, Jim Broadbent's character receives a letter from an old friend who's not spoken to in, I don't know, 25 years. Yeah. Um from a hospice where she is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, she is in Berwick-upon-Tweed and he lives on the south coast of Devon. So it can't be pretty much any so, further. Yeah, you literally can't be further anywhere. unless yeah. you're out of the country. Yeah. Um, and he can't quite decide how to respond to this letter. Uh, and then after a series of signs from, I guess, the universe, he decides to walk. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, becomes somewhat of a pilgrimage as the title would suggest i'll leave it at that but really actually a lot of people might have read the book actually it's based on a novel but it's going i've got a letterbox list that i'm gradually building yeah um film british films that all what was it something about restoring your faith in humanity this is going on there that's nice yeah yeah, it is one of those films. It is one of those films. Um, and when this episode goes out, we should still be in the cinemas, so I would seek it out. I would also. What else have I watched? Um, oh, we had a mountain of ironing this week, so <laughs> I thought, I need to put a film on, but I don't want to put a film that I've not seen on, because then I'll either miss the film or not do the ironing. Background noise. Well, a yeah. little bit more than. Entertaining background noise. So yesterday I watched Meet the Robinsons, which I maintain as one of the most underrated films from my older childhood, I think. Um, and today It's I, Disney, isn't it? It was on Disney Plus. Oh, so. it could be Disney or like Fox's mm. animation output. Yeah, I don't actually know, but I enjoy it. And I like it a lot. And that's another one. It's not going on my list because it's not a British film, but it's Mm. another one that kind of reminds you to have a bit of faith in humanity. Um, Very much about 
seeing the problems in the world and doing something about them, which I very much like. And similar vein as well. Hmm. Underrated films from my childhood. Robots. Do you know what, Phil? I I don't think it's underrated. I think a lot of people what? talk about oh, robots. I've never had a conversation with anyone about it. Other than my well, when you said you'd watched it straight away, I already did the, the big bum mum. Yeah. To you in oh, the cinema. and watching it again as an adult, I was like, I recognise that voice. I recognise that voice. I recognise that voice. Um, and I got them all right. So Ewan McGregor is yes. in there. Robin Williams, also yes. in there. Great Mel voice actor, in there. of course. Jennifer Coolidge, oh, I was correct. Oh, it was correct. Jennifer Coolidge, yeah. Um, Halle Berry is in there. Stanley Tucci, also in there. Jim Broadbent, also oh, in wow. there. Oh, wow, twice in one episode. Yeah, so um, that was just to name a few of the ones that I recognised. So it was quite nice to call back because I was never one to really pick up on who voices who when I was younger. Um, and I enjoy robots. It has not aged badly. We'll put it when did it come way. out? 2005. Oh my God. Yeah. That's not far off being 20 years. That's mad. Although it does feel like it's been a film that's been around for forever. Mm. I think I remember going to see it at the cinema as a kid. I didn't, but we did have it on DVD. Yeah. That's everything I've watched. No, it isn't. Is it not? You've got something else on your list. I lost my notes. To do with spiders. It is to do with spiders. So, it's not Creepy Crawlies 3 or whatever. What's that? I don't know. Oh. Um, <laughs> in preparation, anticipation of the forthcoming cinematic spectacle that promises to be... Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, or whatever they're calling it. I think it. it's called Across, Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah. yeah. I watched, finally, Into the Spider-Verse, and was not disappointed. Isn't the animation so cool? Yeah, and sometimes, you know, like, I know you love a good film, and when, I, when you love a film, I can almost guarantee it's going to be really, really good. But I was concerned that you might have overhyped I this built one. it up a bit much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think I agree with everything you've ever said about it. So. And imagine yeah. how much you enjoyed it at home. Now, I went to see that I on know, the IMAX I was screen. Say, if they ever re release it on IMAX, get me there. Well, I'll be watching the sequel on IMAX. Yes. I was, I was going through the list this week of like summer blockbusters and I was like, oh, what, what would I like to treat myself on IMAX? Because if we did all of them, we'd be. Skint. Skint. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of films I'd like to see on IMAX this summer, and that is definitely one of them. Mm. The Me other too. ones are probably Oppenheimer. Yeah, Barbie. I'm not that fussed about Barbie on IMAX, actually. Oh, Mission Impossible. Yeah. That's, an, that's a film made for IMAX. Yeah. Um, maybe Transformers. Maybe The Flash. I don't know. I don't hear amazing things about Transformers films in general. I don't think I want to waste well, we'll see. an IMAX Let's wait for the reviews. And Guardians, which yeah, but we're we always seeing see this week. Marvel on IMAX anyway, don't we? We do, yeah. 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 But that's everything that we've watched since our last... Gosh, it is. ...run through. through. Um, what's in the news? So in the last normal episode, not the one before, which was our interview episode with Mike Ogden... Um, I mentioned CinemaCon was coming up mm-hmm. and it has delivered well this year. So it isn't like a, a convention where you get really, really lots of future announcements because the whole idea of the convention is that everyone, all the cinemas kind of go and movie studios pitch them their films and cinemas go, oh, that looks really good. We'll put loads of screen times on for that to make the most money. So right. it's that kind of thing. Okay. So they don't like future gays future gays (laughs) (laughs) like past more than a year ahead you know like when you go to comic con and marvel or dc you'll get up and say this is our slate for the next five to six years yeah but then change it all anyway well yeah that's true but it's not like that but there was a lot of really really good news coming out of it and it really feels like the cinematic industry is is back all studios were kind of up there saying how they are committing to theatrical release which is great to hear because during the pandemic, there was a lot of 
will cinema ever be the same again? But I mm. think the proliferation of streaming services, a lot of them have realised when it comes to the cold, hard cash, you can't make the same money as yeah. you can on screen. So I think a lot of them are realising that they complement each other, not compete against one another. Yeah. Um, we're already starting to see that change. So, as an example, Disney were putting Marvel films on to Disney Plus straight away. Fools. Uh, no, not, not... They did go in cinemas. Oh, right. But, like, after about 45 days, they were going on. Whereas Ant-Man, they've put on to, like, digital release where you can uh, buy it or rent it first. And now it's going to Disney Plus in the next couple of weeks. So I think they're all realising that... You don't have to do one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Disney Plus, as long as it's got kind of decent new TV shows on there, they're offering it to have that back catalogue of all of the Disney and Fox films and other bits is great. It's not like you're short of anything to watch from Disney Plus. No. No. Um, I'm going to stick... So we picked... There was a lot of trailers released at CinemaCon, so we got The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes... Um, Wish. I still need to watch the other two, like the last two Hunger Games. Games. Wish, which is the next Disney animation studios, not Pixar film, out over towards Thanksgiving, which I know we don't. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Celebrate, but late November. Um, <laughs> Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Um, a Haunted in Venice, which is the next Hercule Poirot um, film, which looks like a horror film for 90% of the trailer and then brings Poirot in at the end. Yeah, which I was lo- like, oh, this bit... looks like a good scary film. And then there was Kenneth Branagh and his Poirot moustache. And I was like, oh, it's a Poirot film. Okay. And I was I'm like, not like against it, but... No, I mean, I didn't it seems different. Things. And I didn't like... Mur- I, well, I thought Murder on the Orient Express was a bit boring. I thought the one on the... Na- Death on the Nile, I thought was... Rubbish. I didn't hate Murder so, on the Orient Express, and I haven't bothered with Death on the Nile yet, but who knows, maybe one Sunday evening. Um, But yeah, there, there was, and then kind of new things that were updated, um, and a lot of positive talk about, oh, and I'm kind of rambling here, but talking about studios committing to theatrical release, Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon, which has got kind of DiCaprio, that kind of level of was funded by apple and people thought it was just going to go straight to apple but i can't remember what studio have kind of said we'll distribute it for you so that's a new thing where kind of streamers are putting the money behind it but then it will still go out to cinema which i think is great to see Mm -hmm. um it was interesting because the final cut of the film is is clocking in at around three hours and 26 minutes and they were on about saying in the show time like when you know when you book and it says yeah. how long is this film? They were going to put one hour and a hundred and something minutes to try and dupe people into thinking it's under two hours. Do the same people are born yesterday? I reckon some people would fall for it, but we'll see. I mean, I'll watch it, but prepare yourself for a long film. I almost right. So I have seen films in the cinema in a few different countries in the world, and one thing I noticed once upon a time was in India the films I saw at the cinema had an interval inserted into Bollywood the films are made for intervals though, aren't they? 
I didn't watch Bollywood films. Oh, I watched was it, it. Oh. And something else as well. I can't remember. Um, and I think I, I, like many, have noticed that rarely do you go to the cinema these days and see a film that's less than two hours. Uh, most are at least two and a half. And then they get long, pushing three hours and above. And we're getting more and more of those. And I wouldn't be mad if intervals started to become a thing at cinema. I think a lot of the uh, UK exhibitors kind of don't do it because the film's long enough already and we need to get as much screen time in as possible. What they probably need to try yeah, is... what's five minutes going to do? No, I know, but what they probably need to try is if they do put a break in and market that, more people might think, oh, well, I'll go anyway. So they yeah. might get more. But who knows? Um, so that... The first look at that, everyone was saying, looks great. And then there was a lot of first looks at the likes of Ridley Scott's Napoleon, um, Gran Turismo, which is kind of based on the game, but not the game. Um, June Part 2, Wonka, The Colour Purple, Beetlejuice sequel, um, Elemental, the f- was a 20-minute 3D look of Elemental was shown as part of the Disney... Um, Disney presentation um and everyone was saying it, it's like pink pixar again which is great oppenheimer wicked um which isn't released that was the one kind of difference about looking past a year because we don't get part one of wicked till christmas next year um but we've seen some good first looks the one that probably like the obvious ones are kind of doing part two Elemental, all that kind of stuff. Mm. But the one that people seem really, really excited about, when I when I've listened to the soundtrack, I love it. Is the color purple? People are saying it's going to win everything. So there is a film, the color purple. Yeah. And then there was a Broadway adaptation of it. And now the, they're making her from. Um... Cynthia Reeve. Now, her from Orange is the New Black was on it on in it on Broadway. I think she's in it as well. Is she still in it? Yeah, I she's love in the her. film. Yeah, the one that's in Peacemaker. Dan- Dan- Danielle. Yeah. Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. Danielle Brooks. Yeah. Yes. Um. So a lot of people are saying that looks fantastic. So I, yeah. Okay. I I'm here for that. But yeah, so a lot of, basically, to sum that up, a lot of great Hollywood, I would say, is finally back in the sense that. They're releasing lots more films into cinemas um, and, yeah, just feels... I mean, it's the start of summer blockbuster season and from Guardians of the Galaxy this Friday, I think there's, like, blockbuster after blockbuster for the mm. next two or three months, so... Yeah? Yeah. Do we think this might be the last season that we're saying and since COVID for cinema? Maybe. If it's back. Hey, if Super Mario Bros can make a billion... And I think it make a billion. Um, <laughs> you are not wrong there. So, yeah. Um, so what a time we've had. But now it's time to cast our minds into the future and get excited for what's coming up in the world of film. I left one trailer out of the CinemaCon bits, but so we've decided to go with Next Goal Wins, which has been in production for a hell of a long time. In fact, Tag Waititi shot this film then went to Thor Love and Thunder, wrote it, directed it, released it, all in the time since this film was shot. So let's see if it was worth the wait. It's been a long time in the oven. As always, listeners, link is in the show notes. So if you do like to play this game with us and (laughs) pause and watch along, please do now. See you after the sparkles. Hey, well, what did you think to that? Um, well, any trailer that uses ABBA as its song yes. has got a tick in my book. Yes. Um, I liked it. Um, it's very Tyker. I feel like if it leans into his more Jojo Rabbit-esque type of themes, then we're in for a treat. What type of themes could it possibly have that are Jojo rabbit Just like, you can tell the way it's written to me like, it is a it's obviously a sports film about the underdog soccer team yes so the premise is a coach is sent to 
America Samoa to American Samoa. American Samoa to coach their international team that has the greatest losing streak in history. In, in the fact, trailer it says that they they've lost... never scored a goal. Yeah. So when I mentioned Ted Lasso before, you can't see this film and not think of it. Which is almost a shame because people will be comparing it more. Because if this had been released when it was originally shot, Ted Lasso probably won't have had season two or three. So it doesn't have to be a Ted Lasso comparison. People There's are loads going of films to, though. like this. No, but it's it's literally the same premise. Yeah, but so it's the same premise as all sorts of different sports. Well, films. I'll just say it now that people are going to compare. Yeah. It. Okay. Um. Good cast. Um, I think a lot of why it took so long is because it had to be reshot because of Army Hammer's involvement, and they've now brought in Michael. Oh, is that this one? Yeah, yeah. Michael Fassbender, who I think by like I think they couldn't avoid Army Hammer like um, Death on the Nile almost did because he was kind of a supporting character in that one. So did they just edit him out? He was kind of in it, but he just. It didn't really matter. Yeah. It didn't kind of take focus. But right. on this one, I think he was playing Michael Fassbender's character. So the main character. So they had to right. reshoot it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's coming out. They've moved the release date to autumn, which is kind of that stereotypical awards film calendar kind of thing. I'm sure it'll probably end up being at some awards festivals. Probably Toronto. Yeah, it feels awardsy. Um, trailer. Uh, it, it, yeah, looks good. I would say it's treasure for me, but like light treasure. Light treasure. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm quite happy with it. With the having this trailer in the treasure trove. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I don't think it's got a UK release date. We might get it later, like we seem to with the awardsy films. We might get it January, February time. <gasps> I dislike that. I dislike that. I that. still don't understand why they do it. Like, we like awardsy films too. And we have to see all the reactions, and then it goes on social media, and you, get and you all feel the like you've seen half the film. Yeah. So by the time it gets a UK release, so, um, yeah. Trash, uh, treasure for me. <laughs> treasure. 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 For you. Yeah. Cool. And now it's time for this week's headline feature, The Mandalorian Season 3, coming up right after this quick break. So, Mando season three. Do you have a synopsis at all? Because no. I don't, because I well, find giving a TV show a synopsis really difficult. I couldn't quite work out how to do a synopsis without doing one for every episode. And my notes for this are just a synopsis for each episode. So I don't really know how I'm going to approach it. Well, you sound like you're going to cry. I don't know, I'm going to approach <laughs> Well, it. I don't like it because you get stressed out at me when I don't have notes. And I, I literally, I don't have any notes that aren't just the synopsis. Okay, well, let's, obviously this picks back up after Mandalorian Season 2. Or does or it? Or does it? So, Actually, yes. I thought it was a really weird creative decision that Mando reunited with Grogu in another show, The Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. I... And wasn't really explained <laughs> in following on from that really amazing season two finale where Luke Skywalker drops in. I can't believe it was a creative decision and not just an oversight. Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, we have two more episodes. Like, because the thing is as well, it was really weird because the book of Boba Fett, those two episodes that Mando, that was Mando focused, the Boba, Boba Fett, Fett wasn't, wasn't even, even in it. So it, it literally did feel like... And I just think the way Grogu just turns back up on episode you know what it was one, like? I thought this, I think they've kind of done like a Marvelification where they've thought, well, people will have seen the other shows. We're going to cross over. Yeah, but, and, but I, and I know that they are probably going to do crossovers because they've announced that kind of Dave Filoni is going to do that film. That it's kind okay of, to have references across your yeah. universe, but like don't put key plot points in an entirely different TV show. Those poor people that joined Mandalorian season three. I'm talking to you, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> who were like, didn't watch Boba Fett because they saw that the reviews weren't all that great and thought, can't be asked with that. I'll wait for Mando season three. And then here it is. It just launches straight in with a big spoiler. Yeah. Well, not even a spoiler. It's just like, oh, it just felt like the stakes of how we left at the end of season two 
you know, went off to train with Luke. Yeah. And now he's back. Been even totally the wasted. way, even the, I would, I would argue, even the two episodes that he was in Book of Boba Fett, like mm. to bring him back after two episodes, I thought we were potentially going to have a complete season three, kind of without Grogu, or maybe going to see Grogu in certain scenes, like yeah. and, and just kind of intermittently. But then the, there would be silly to have a Mandalorian season, I think, without Grogu. Although my next point is that I did think he wasn't, as a character, as involved all that much this season anyway. Grogu? Yeah. No, he was much more a sidekick. Yeah. He has that little mission in episode two where he goes off to Mandalore with Din Djarin. Yeah. And Din Djarin gets trapped by this cyborg creature. Yeah. So then he goes on this little jaunt where he goes off to get Bo-Katan. So that's the episode two where he does play a main part, but I do think he's been very much kicked to the side a bit. I don't know if kicked to the side is necessarily how I see it, but I think it was a good choice to focus more on Din Djarin and Bo-Katan than on Din Djarin and Grogu for this season. Because I think next season, by the looks of it, is going to be heavy on the Din Djarin, Grogu. <laughs> heavy on the Din Djarin. Yeah, I mean, the, some people were speculating, was he going to die? Because the, the name, the Mandalorian, feels like it's almost morphed to not just be about Din Djarin, it's about... Oh yeah, definitely. All, by all the end of, them, of this, by it? the end of this season, you know it's not only him. And that's Bo-Katan why I keep having to call much... him Din Djarin yeah. and not Mando. Well, that's weird as well because they do like even some of the characters refer to him as Mando, and it's like it might have been fine when there was just the one, but yeah. now you're surrounded by Mandalorians. Yeah. Calling Din Djarin Mando is a bit is a bit weird. Um, it's like when you're you're a bunch of straight mates and you're the only gay, and they all call you the gay one. Is it that? Exactly like that. Mm. I mean, it's not, but we'll go with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, overall, I thought the season was okay. I think the strong episodes were strong and the other episodes were not. Yeah. I think season one was cool because it was like the first first Star Wars TV, live-action Star Wars TV show, it kind of had this monster-slash-quest-of-the-week feeling to it, which I thought was quite fun. Yeah. And then season two got a bit more kind of in on the detail, and it had a bit of a plot that you felt was going somewhere, and I just felt like this didn't as much, and... I think, yeah, this one, where I quite like... Roughly how the plot tracked as far as Din Djarin and Grogu are back. They're on the adventure. The overall goal of this season is to take Mandalore back. And throughout that, they meet loads of other Mandalorians and stuff starts to feel quite like real. Like we're at a turning point in Mandalorian history now where, you know, they can reclaim a bit of land and their dignity as a culture mm-hmm. but then it but some of those episodes felt a little bit kind of stilted and a little bit spoofy and it teased me with a parallel storyline with dr pershing and Eliah kane yeah yes who are New Republic, they they like were part of the Empire and they've now been uh, welcomed by the New Republic's like resettlement scheme, I yeah. guess. Um, by the looks of it, people who are being resettled don't have the same rights as people who weren't part of the Empire before. Um, and so it's a bit like interesting and political and then I didn't see any more of it. Yeah, I did. I have, have actually wrote that that was episode three. Like, what happened that... to Dr. Pershing? I... It left that episode <laughs> and she sabotaged... No, she betrayed him yeah. and then sabotaged his 
punishment for breaking the rules. She made his mind wipe. It would have been a little mind wipe, and she turned up to intensity. And you've no idea what happened to him. Yeah, I know. And And I I really liked him as well. And I really... That's the side of... Like, episode three, I think, was one of my favourites in the sense that you've got, you know, the sneaking onto that Imperial ship for to find some cloning It was technology. so good. And it reminded me of Andor yeah. a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I like these themes of, obviously, because we know this is set between the original trilogy and then the sequel trilogy, and we know that the First Order come about some, you know, that even though they vanquished the Empire, they're not totally gone. Yeah. And I like that, how did we get to that point where the Empire slash First Order become a thing again? Yeah. And I like that it's almost, it almost reminds you how when the Nazis fell, there were still Nazis about. So still how did they... Day. Well, exactly. Yeah. So how did they navigate that world? And are they sat in the background thinking, how can we get Nazism, Nazism back into power. the forefront kind of stuff? So yeah, I thought that was good. But I think before we go into kind of episode details, let's kind mm. of try stick on some general thoughts. So okay, speaking of kind of that pivot to Bo-Katan Kreese, I really like Katie Sackhoff's performance as Bo-Katan. Oh my God. As a Mandalorian, she is captivating. Yeah. Because I think as characters, I think, although I thought, so it's weird because it's like, how much can you like a character that doesn't really take the helmet off? Because I've sort of wrote on my notes, I think Mandalorian season three and The Last of Us season one was filming at the boat at the same time. And I can just guarantee that I don't think Pedro Pascal is in that suit pretty much. He just voiced it. Pretty much, yeah. So to get something from a character where the head is covered most of the time, I think, because, you know, a lot of how what we feel is yeah. looking at the face. But then I thought even the way they wrote that in, this is again getting a bit on the episodes, like how she bathed in the waters. So now she can take a helmet. I was like, are you just seg- putting that in so we can actually see her face? Or is it part of the the law making? No, she was only... She existed without her helmet on and then she rescued him from the waters, thereby bathing in them. And hadn't taken her helmet off since. And that's the only reason that the armourer was like, well then, seems like you're a Mandalorian again. You live the way. Yeah, but then she takes her helmet back off. Yeah, because the armourer is like, actually, there are many more Mandalorians out there who don't go by the creed, but they're still Mandalorians. And if the Mandalorians are going to have any type of anything in the future... We need to be able to bridge gaps between those that live by the creed and those that don't. Yeah, you right. Okay, you've you've taken that as a plot point. I was maybe a bit more cynical to think they put that in to just see somebody's face. Um, I don't know. I like both Bo-Katan Kreez, though. I, I like her a lot. Of all of the Mandalorians, I think I fancy her the most. Oh. Which is really strange because, I mean, she's not my type, if, <laughs> if it weren't clear. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked Rick Fam... Fam... Oh, Rick... F- I, I don't know why I'm proper stumbling on that word. Rick Famu... Famu I was... Directed episodes the most. Although he did do the Which first episode that I didn't think was all that great. But he did the final two, which I didn't think were really quite good. Um... There was some really decent space battles in this, which I thought felt kind of classic Star Wars. Um, mm. A couple of them throughout the series, which was nice. And I also, also, I also thought it was interesting that they do seem to be kind of putting in a few little seeds of the sequel trilogy. Um, yeah, you know, and it looks, <coughs> it looks like this cloning technology or something is either kind to bring it might lead to kind of how Palpatine ends up being brought back. Yeah. Which is not a creative choice that I liked, but it happened. And um, Maybe this will make you not dislike it as much. Well, that's the thing, actually. Because it'll give it a bit of reason. Yeah, and a little look behind the curtain. We did actually go to see Return of the Jedi last night, which we're going to do an episode on this week because to celebrate Star Wars Day. And on its the 40th, yeah. And its 40th, yeah. And 
even that kind of seeing that, I thought, oh, there's some parts of the Star Wars timeline that almost get a bit better from from revisiting some of the what happens in the the main trilogies. But that's kind of my my over my overall thought. So we start. Should we start with episodes then? Are we going to take them in order? Yeah. Yeah. So we start with episode one. The armor agrees that if Mando goes to Mandalore and bathes in its waters, he will be accepted back into the clan for taking off his helmet. IG-11, who is that droid, um, is going back to factory settings and a, and a, is attacking Grogu, which I thought was quite fun. I don't remember that. Yeah, because then he's remade into IG-12 and Grogu gets to control him. Uh, oh, okay. I did wonder, because I remember Din Djarin doesn't really trust droids as a general rule, does no. he? And I don't remember IG-11 in episode one of this at all. He was attacking Grogu. They put, switched him back on and he'd gone back to, like, factory satins and he was in, like, an attack droid. But anyway... And then we find Bo-Katan is no longer interested in retaking Mandalore after her allies gave up on her after failing to get the Darksaber back from Moff Gideon and they've kind of become mercenaries. I actually thought the first episode was pretty weak when they were fighting that big crocodile That thing irritated me because I thought it, like, the opening... Get me words out. <laughs> opening scene of the episode. Am I right in this? The opening scene. Tell me what you thought is it was. The youngling, youngling taking the cruise. Youngling. There's no need to feel down. I say youngling. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, not exactly that. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> taking the creed in the water outside of their cave in wherever they are taking refuge. Uh, and they disturbed a giant, what I can only describe as an alligator, although I have just read the Wikipedia and it's apparently called a dinosaur turtle. <laughs> That's Star Wars for you. So, I'm mad at that. Um, well, are you just going to say why didn't they go back in the cave? Yes. I know. They, instead of running back into the cave before it has attacked anyone, they all start attacking it. It obviously... Is absolutely huge, and their weapons are having no... They're all a bit useless against they are. that, aren't they? Yeah, I know. They're basically hopeless against this creature, which is no criticism of them. It is massive. But they're going for it anyway, and then there's a cave that it would not fit in, that they just came out of, waiting for them, and then Grogu and Din Djarin arrive, and shoot the beast down. Poor beast. I know. Just and I don't existing. It kind of almost felt like a bit of dick swinging. Like, <laughs> I just thought it felt like the ninja device to bring Dinjarin and Grogu back in the nick of time. But why couldn't Dinjarin and Grogu just have landed on the planet? I guess it wouldn't have been I don't know. It wasn't dramatic, though. It was irritating. Like, yeah. They risked the life of all of the younglings by not scooting them off into the cave. They injured themselves. And this poor beast is now dead when it could have just been a bit annoyed and then swum off. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. So, so. Sorry about that. Bit of a disappointing season premiere, I would I say. I did like being back in Star Wars, though. Oh, Star I Wars always do. I last watched something. But, so yeah. I think I did... Approach it with a bit of rose-coloured spectacles while I was watching it, and then only afterwards, when I thought about it, was I like, "Hang on, this is stupid." Yeah, we move on to episode two, which I've kind of briefly mentioned already, because it's when Grogu gets a bit of a quest um, to go and get Bo-Katan after Mando is captured by some sort of cyborg creaturey thing. I liked episode two a lot more than episode one. So did one. I. Yeah, um, and turns out Ned. Beskar's heavy. No way. And you sink. Yeah. So when he does get to the water to bathe in its power, he sinks straight down to the bottom. 
Um, which is a bit, you think, Mandalor- Mandalorians can't take the helmet off and they have to keep all their armour on. But yeah. to, like, get rid of sin, they have to jump in water. Well, I don't think he was expecting the water to be so deep. I got the impression <laughs> that those stairs were once quite Mandalorian-friendly. <laughs> and obviously a lot of, like, bad stuff has happened to the minds of Mandalore over the years. So they've probably gone into a bit of disrepair, and I think just unfortunately... Yeah, there's a mythical creature in there as well, that mythos. It's not mythical, it's real, yeah. as we learn. Yeah. The mythosaur. Yeah. Um... So yeah, Bo-Katan jumps in, saves him. Um, oh, did we skip a little bit? I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, and Bo-Katan meets the Mythosaur. Mm. But she doesn't tell anyone about it. Not yet, anyway. No, not yet. Um, moving on to episode three, which again we've already mentioned a little bit. This was probably my favourite episode outside of the final two. <gasps> Irritating, but... But Not didn't because... get picked up on exactly. anymore. <laughs> because it was such a good episode. It was a really cool parallel storyline. Yeah. We were seeing kind of Coruscant in its glory. Yeah. Really cool fact about Coruscant. There's only that one tiny place where you can see the actual surface because it's a city planet. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I always find it weird how Star Wars, you know, like on Earth, we've obviously got different climates. We've got all of the biomes. Yeah, whereas Star Wars, on a planet, you get a volcano planet, a city planet, an ice planet. (laughs) They're all just... Yeah, the forest planet. Forest planet. Forest moon of Endor. Yes. Um, But yeah, that's always quite interesting. But yeah, really good episode to kind of go behind the scenes of that New Republic slash First Order rising, where, where the Empire got the worms into fingies into literally all that kind of stuff and i enjoyed it so much i really liked dr pershing as i've said and i really loved to hate elia kane elia kane however you say her name and then i spent the whole rest of the season waiting for another episode for that yeah and it just never got picked back up i wonder if you get things like that in you know, as they kind of expand this story and they, they use, I don't know, Ahsoka or apparently Skeleton Crew is going to be in part part of this as well. I wonder if that kind of gets picked back up on, but we'll see. Um, episode four? Episode four. So there's something I'm going to talk about here. So this kind of goes back to a little bit kind of season one. So the, the main plot, of the season is kind of dropped altogether. It and this goes more to that feels a bit challenge of the week kind of thing. So in this episode, a youngling gets stolen by this creature. Yeah. And that's pretty much the, the full episode. Yeah. Although there is a cool bit where unfortunately we get to see Order sixty six for the millionth time where Grogu is rescued by a Jedi Master. Yeah. Kelleran Beg, whoever that is. Okay. Um, so that was quite cool to see again, because I presume that Grogu, even though he can use the Force, I didn't really see him as being at the Jedi Temple during Order 66. I don't know why. I just didn't think he would be... I just thought they'd found another creature that happens to be Force-sensitive somewhere, a bit like Rey mm. in the sequel trilogy, but turns out he was... Yeah, here he is. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really like the. I thought this was a bit silly rescuing that, that thing. It felt like a lot to spend a whole episode doing. Mm. But um, I don't like. As I say, I liked season one where it was kind of monster of the week kind if of this stuff. Had, but... Yeah, if this had been maybe a part of an episode where they got a bit more into some other pieces of the storyline then I could have maybe enjoyed it a bit more because it was cool. Like, it was a fun mission to have. And it did give um, Bo-Katan a bit more reason to, like, feel a part of the Mandalorians again because I think she was feeling quite disenfranchised prior. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, a long... A, a whole episode on it was just a bit much because, you know, it was time that could have been better spent looking at what happened to Dr. Pershing, for example. 
Um, episode five ends. Oh no! What I wanted to say about episode four is mm. there was this really stupid thing where I hated that they ran out of jet fuel, so they couldn't f- just yeah. fly. But then later on in the season, they were, they flying, were flying here, there, and, and everywhere. Yeah. I felt that was daft. They were flying um, in and out of the atmosphere of a planet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought that was stupid. Yeah. Um, episode five, I've only really commented on the ending, so this is where it starts to introduce Moff Gideon again. So we see his transport ship where he's kind of escaped from, um, and Beskar alloy is found, so it's presumed that kind of... The Mandalorians. Manda- some Mandalorians have broken him out. That's all I've kind of got for episode five. I've just realised why they found Beskar alloy there. Because obviously the... it turns out he is inhabiting the minds of Mandalore, which is where all the Beskar ally is. No, but some Mandalorians broke him out. Did they? Yeah. Was that confirmed? Yeah. When was that? I don't know. But they found it there, so they broke him out. But like they were mercen- it's the mercenary versions, I think. Oh, right, okay. Um, but yeah. So that's where we start to see a bit of the plot kick in. Unfortunately, then, episode six happens. And now Lucasfilm. <laughs> I love Lizzo, and I don't mind Jack Black, but never do anything like this ever again. The, my Yeah, my grievance with such an episode was not Lizzo or Jack Black. I quite enjoyed that they were there. No. I don't mind having humorous characters. But why was it so Alice in Wonderland? It was just stupid. I said, I wrote my notes that it's like the the, the plot just really doesn't feel like they're taking it seriously. It felt to me like an SNL sketch where... Because it was so heavily Alice in Wonderland. It was was by the book, Alice in Wonderland. They were even playing croquet with upside down flamingo robots. Oh, were they? No. Which is weird because I think Dallas Bryce Howard... Um, directed this one and every time she's directed in the past everyone's like oh it's going to be a really good episode um, because she's she's got a kind of her episodes have always been quite good so yeah. I was expecting quite a bit and then we get Liz honestly at least I know if I dress up as Grogu um, for Halloween this year I might stand a chance of being in Mandalorian season 4 because that's the only reason I can think why they brought Lizzo in because she's such a fan and I just really didn't like it at all. Um, the only thing that kind of affects the plot in this, like we get... Oh, actually, we do get to see some of the old kind of Federation droids, which I thought was... Yeah, I liked the story of it. I just... Oh, I just hated how stupid it was. A stupid episode that w- was used basically to make sure that the dark is passed from Bo... Back to... No, from Mando back to Bo. Yeah. Because even though she hasn't killed him in action, she saved his life, so that deems something. It was basically, it got, she got off on a technicality. But it was the, on, the only reason it had to happen was because the troop of Mandalorians that they were trying to get to are basically the like bodyguards of... Lizzo and Jack Black's uh, Red Queen Palace, aren't they? It was just... Oh, Shil- yeah, yeah, honestly, silly. I wish I could use one of those men in black things. Well, actually, one of those mind-wiping things to kind of me to forget this episode because I truly, truly did not like it at all. Mm. Um, and it's such a shame because I do really like Lizzo. Yeah. And I bet she had so much fun making yeah, it. Yeah, I know. She will have had so much fun, but, like, don't... No. I take Star Wars seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come in and do that. So, yeah. Um, so we get to episode seven where we kind of join... Oh, didn't that ha- happen at six as well, actually? What? I was going to say, we kind of join back up with the other band of Mandalorians and Bo-Katan challenges Paz Vizsla or one of the others. Not Paz Vizsla, one of the... Anyway, so we're all back on Mandalore. And they're all going together. Mm. Um, we've got Hux's dad is in this, which again, those seeds of the sequel trilogy, General Hux. Um, where is Thrawn, who is a character I've not really known about until I saw the Ahsoka trailer and started doing some digging. Who's Thrawn? Grand Admiral Thrawn is kind of some Empire guy who's around at this time who is oh, going okay. to be in Ahsoka. And he's right. kind of... 
him and Moff Gideon are kind of... Pals. Yeah. We've got IG-12, which has been brought back, which Grogu can now use and can adorably say yes or no. I was going to say, actually, when Grogu first takes the wheel of IG-12 and starts saying yes and no, it did have me laughing. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of this is leading up towards um, Grogu's first words. Yeah. I think. Um, Because he still kind of googles and gargles and... Coos, I think is the word. I bet that would be like the Disney Plus subtitle, Mm. Grogu cooing. Mm. Um, So, yeah, they've kind of been not, not... Betrayed, they've just got to Manzalore and realised, oh shit, it's an Imperial base now. So all hell breaks loose. Um, They've kind of put, they've got stormtroopers that have been fortified with Beskar to make them more powerful. They've got those cool Praetorian guards, which are the ones in the red that are in the... All I see when I see them... The last last Jedi? There's... um, There are branches of Extinction Rebellion activists who <laughs> yeah, and and do the white makeup. Not the weirdos, sorry, but they're, they're, the I activists. Thought that, yeah, <laughs> activist weirdos. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what, yeah. And I thought Paz Vizsla's death was quite dark for for this, for this the theme of this, of the Mandalorian. Anyway, I thought Andor got quite dark in places, but I thought the way they killed him at the end of episode seven with yeah, all the different stabbings was... Yeah, it's... It didn't fit the tone, really, of the no. rest of the season, and it kind of felt a bit out of place, and almost like they were like, hmm, it's not very plausible if every Mandalorian survives. We need to find one to kill. And then they just chose to do Paz Vizsla like this. And I'm not really... Sh- I don't know. Like, if you, I'd, I'm not disputing the choice to have it done. I just don't feel like it fit in the season. Like, bring the tone of the season more in, more towards that, yeah. if that's going to be an important point. Yeah. Especially when the previous episode had Lizzo and Jack Black in and felt yeah, like a Yeah, exactly. It yeah. just felt like not even opposite sides of the same coin, just different coins. On different planets, yeah. in different universes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's left on a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, Din Djarin gets separated from the rest of the group. And then we move into episode eight. So kind of big battle episode. Clones of Gideon are found and kind of destroyed. Did enjoy the last episode. Um, we kind of find out that the reason um, they wanted Grogu in the end of season two, or they're kind of like Moff's been wanting him is so the clones can wield the force and be used in that sense. Um, oh, is it? Is he trying to, like, get Grogu's force blood. genes, basically? Yeah, I think so. And yeah. put them into his... Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got really cool battles in the air with all the Mandalorians, which I thought felt... It was quite animated Star Wars type, like, live-action yeah. version of that um, for the limited parts of the animated shows I've seen mm. but I did I thought I, I thought oh if I was seeing this on the big screen this would be kind of a really cool scene not out of place in kind of a Star Wars film either yeah um, I thought it was quite nice when Grogu protected Mando and Bo when the, the planet mm. was being destroyed not the planet the base on the planet was being destroyed yeah I did a little force, kind of field. Did force field that was very um, do you know exactly what that reminded me of the Incredibles Yes, that as well. And it also reminded me of Guardians of the Galaxy 1 when Groot protects them all and forms a big Mm. bush around them out of his body. But yeah, it was cute. Um, Although I did think it was weird how the Darksaber seemed to be destroyed really quick. So I'm confused. I thought the Darksaber was... Could cut through anything. Able to cut through anything. Yeah. And then here it was, barely touching Moff Gideon. Yeah. Like, I don't even think it scratched him. No. And he destroyed it quite easily. Yeah. 
Yeah, which I thought was a bit of a continuity plot hole, whatever. Just a bit lazy, almost. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but Moff gets killed, doesn't he? I can't remember how... Uh, I don't know. I can't read I think this he did. quick enough. I think he did. Um, and then the episode kind of ends with Grogu is adopted as Din Grogu. <laughs> so he is a Mandalore, officially a Mandalorian apprentice. Um, um, because he can't take the creed because he can't speak yet. Therefore, he can't become an apprentice. So, Din Djarin is like, well, if I become his guardian, I can make him an apprentice. Is that right? I'm so going to put Amor a bet like, on. Yeah, okay. Right. So, out of the three Star Wars films that are announced, there's one that kind of ties up all of the Mandoverse that we want to call it. Mm. And then there's also one that's got Ray in the 15 years in the future after the rise of Skywalker rebuilding the Jedi Order. Mm. And I think baby Grogu won't be a baby anymore. Grogu will be there. Okay. Just, just just saying it now. Yeah, They wouldn't kill baby Yoda. No, obviously. No. That'd be foolish. So, yeah, and then it kind of... Another weird thing, it ends where Mando now, even though they've rescued Mandalore, decides to take a home outside of Navarro which was previously offered to him by Grief Karga in a, in a previous episode, but I thought, you've just rescued your home planet, but you're not going to live there. He's not allowed to, because he's now got Grogu as an apprentice, and to do the apprentice stuff, he has to go travelling. Well, you can still travel, but still live on Mandalore. Just thought that was a bit strange. Yeah, I suppose. Don't know. But yeah, if I was going to give it a star rating as a season, which I always find hard with TV... I would probably go with a three because I think the highs and the lows kind of yeah, I was gonna say that. each other out. Um, it's a three, but not because it's consistent. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And how gay is it? Where's your little... Uh, oh, I don't know. Is it on charge? I wasn't prepared for how gay is it. Are we not doing that with telly? I suppose we could. I don't know. Star Wars doesn't feel gay at all. Although a lot of gays like it, so let's discuss that briefly. Okay. Yeah, I'll get the gay dar. Okay. Sorry. Go and get it. I'll do some robot beep 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 R2 D two type things. He's back. Now he's got the gay dar in hand. And now it's out. Just playing with my god, put it away. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, like I think we don't need to compare it to other films because it's hard to do it with films. Yeah, I do, it's but not... I do think it's interesting how a lot of queer people seem to like Star Wars. I just think it's because people are nerds, whether they're gay or straight. Yeah, I do think Star Wars could do more for queer representation, though. Because we live in, it's set in a galaxy far, far away with people and aliens that look like mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. They're, like, gender clearly doesn't exist on some of these planets. And I just think, I always remember when people were saying that Poe and Finn should have been in a romantic relationship in the sequel trilogy. And I would have shipped that. I would have as well. So, yeah. Um, that would have been do some more Lucasfilm please yeah, regarding because, representation yeah. but there's loads of LGBTQ sci-fi fans yeah It'd be nice to be catered to it would interesting you'd have to get gay writers in there because otherwise it would just be a load of straight people distracting from the real storytelling by throwing some gay stuff the thing it. is relationships aren't, I would say, even if we go back to the original trilogy of kind of... They barely have relationships. Han and Leia. It's not It's not a main point of the film. It would just be nice to get maybe a few references. I don't um, really know how you would do it. No, me neither. No, the gay dad's barely picked anything up. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all for this time. 
If you have enjoyed this episode of Gaze on Film, then please subscribe, rate and comment on your podcast platform of choice. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Gaze on Film Pod. And check out our Letterboxd accounts. The links for those are in the show notes. We would love to hear your thoughts. Oh yeah, I'd like to I would actually like to know on this one if they like the Lizzo episode and do you think it's the least best season? Oh, so please do feel free to drop us a message. I have been Ned. And I have been Declan. And this has been Gaze on Film. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.